Jill's with you, SEN Summer Mornings, taking a walk down memory lane. Yeah, in better times when the West Indies cricketers or West Indies cricket team was a test match powerhouse. Your favourite memories, your favourite players, 0457 736 736. Of course, Australia take on the West Indies in Adelaide in the first of two tests. That gets underway tomorrow. Nice to see a daytime test match in Adelaide for a change. It is going to be... A tough time for the visitors, as we anticipate. But Aussie fans are also going to get a glimpse of the post-Warner era. We have a new opener, which absolutely no one had in the picture, bar the man himself, a few weeks back. And that man's number four spot taken by a gentleman described as a generational cricketer, Peter Lawler from the Australian. And SEN Cricket is on the line right now. Morning, Pete. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm very well, mate. You know, we're talking about running through this West Indies team and and not recognising the names. It wasn't always like that. And I said at the top of the show, I remember vividly, you know, Kirtley Ambrose's spell of seven for one in Perth 93, where he just ripped through that middle order. It was was absolutely frightening. You know, it'd be nice to sort of return to the heady days of West Indies cricket. Uh, No. 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 (laughs) I'm I'm traumatised from the memory of growing up watching West Indian cricketers, bully Australian cricketers. Mm. It, it was terrifying when they came out, and they always seemed to be here. Poor yeah. old AB. I think, he, I think he played the West Indies in 10 consecutive tests. Mm. I mean, and, you know, and that's 10 consecutive tests of, of blokes trying to kill you. Um, no, they were, they were fantastic cricketers, and that's seven for one. That lives in memory, doesn't it? Yeah. Although I don't think Ian Healy would like replays of the shots that he played in that particular collapse. Yes. <laughs> a yes. shutter had gone through the group. Oh. I reckon he might have just been backing away a little bit there. Yeah, anyway, yeah. wouldn't be the um, only one. Vintage Perth uh, pitch too. I wouldn't beat. mind seeing them competitive, though. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Just, just on that, I mean, look, again, it's. I think the batting is going to struggle against our quicks, and there's talk about a, a slightly bouncier Adelaide pitch than usual. But, you know, we saw what Kemar Roach did as a young up-and-comer to, to Ricky back in 2010. You know, Alzari Jose has been around for a while. Shamar Joseph, our colleague Barat, had been watching him closely, said he's got a bit of spunk about him. Can can you see some kind of diamond in the rough emerging here? Yeah, well, Shamar is, uh, I think he might be the one. But, yeah, I mean, it's very hard to know, isn't it, on the evidence mm. of those tour games. Um, wasn't exactly the strongest 11 that they were playing against. You keep your fingers crossed, don't you? Look, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm being Pollyanna here, but I, 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 I'm kind of hoping that there's... Uh, that, that awkwardness when you don't know other players, when, when they're new and they're on the scene, they can trip you up early. So, you know, bowlers don't really know where a batter's weakness is and, uh, and, 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 uh, and the bowlers can really be uh, something of a surprise to the Australian batters. I mean, Smithy said yesterday, Steve Smith, that he had, he, he had to go off and do his homework and, and work out how much these guys mm. bowl. So they're an unknown. So there is an element of surprise to it. They were strong in Perth last year, the West Indies side. But as we know, they're coming off a low base, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. You just reminded me there about doing research in the opposition when AB, I think, first faced Murley. He thought he was a leg spinner. He would have confounded, <laughs> confounded many... Yeah. yeah. Now, now, Pete, I bumped you briefly at the SCG and then later that day you reported in your column that... Steve Smith could be an opening option, and it took everyone by surprise. It left a lot of us saying, Steve Smith, really? 
And here we are. And judging by the man's reaction, he, he seems excited. He's all in on this new role. You know, you wonder how we, honestly, how we can be so collectively dumb. I mm. mean, somebody comes and says to me, what about Steve Smith? I go, Steve Smith? Oh, hang on a minute. Gee, that just might work. And then, and then, so yeah, I'd heard, you know, that was floating around. And so I, I heard word back from Smith that he was keen to do it. And I knew that he'd been saying that, but people hadn't been taking him seriously. But the more I thought about it, the more sense it made for all sorts of reasons. One, to reinvigorate Steve Smith, who is becalmed, and as my colleague Gideon Hay wrote the other day in his excellent substack, um, he's like a singer who's got, forgotten the words to his hit song. You look at him out there and you go, gee, gee. <laughs> it's familiar, but uh, yeah, it's, it's slipped away. And look, and all this bleating from from uh, West Australians in particular, but all these people going on about this decision, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, don't you don't you think Cameron Green deserves a place in the Australian mm. Test team? Yeah. Cameron yeah. Green's averaged sixty six since moving up the order in Sheffield Shield. I think that's across eighteen matches. He's a mile better than the other candidates. Yep. He's taken thirty Test wickets. Yep. He's the best gully fielder in the world. What? And you're squawking because he, he's in the side? It, I mean, are you going to call him out and put in somebody because they're allegedly a specialist opener? I don't get it. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah, and think about it is, and when you drill down on the numbers and you find out that when Smith has come in in the first two overs and basically been a de facto opener, he averages over 100. When he comes in the first 10 yeah. overs, he averages over 60. So he's, he's no stranger to facing the new ball, and it, it seems to me they almost sort of put him there. Oh, look, I won't say by default because he wanted to do it, but they were that desperate to get Green back in the side. Green now occupies yeah. his coveted number four spot. He gets the West Indies. He gets New Zealand. He's got yeah. what he wants. Uh, it's his chance now to, to seize this with both hands and repay the faith. And then, as you mentioned, Pete, in the process, quell all those outraged West Australians. <laughs> hey, and what did West Australia want? Cameron Green not to play? I mean, yeah. you can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, I don't understand that. I mean, all due respect to Mark Harris, who's a very good cricketer, and Bancroft and Renshaw, but I'm sorry, they're just not as good as Cameron Green. And you mm. cannot afford to have a talent like that hanging around mixing cordials. He's yeah. just too good. He's got to be in the team somehow. And if it and if in some way reinvigorates Steve Smith, well, that's a bonus. The Adelaide pitch suggestion is going to be a bit bouncier than usual. Have you got any more more mail on that and sort of what side of wicket, what type of wicket we might get? Uh, well, it's a few days out, but look, the, the, it's really hot in Adelaide. It's that clear all day sun, you know, low to mid thirties every day. That's going to be baking it hard underneath. I mean, we all pretend we're experts on these pitches, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's going to have the same length of grass on it that it usually has for pink ball, red ball, which is an interesting situation, I think. But uh, we have there's a there's a fair bit of uh, faith in, in Damien Hoff over here as, as a curator. I think he's one of the more respected curators in the world, and he's an expert on the drop-ins. Curiously, I asked him yesterday whether um, 
he prefers drop-ins to established wickets. Because if you have a look at it now, the drop-ins are pretty good around yeah. Australia, and they've been very mm. good this summer. He didn't want to answer that question, so I suspect the answer is he still likes your, your, your traditional centre square to work with, which will probably get the, uh, get the curator out of the green room in the winter and into the <laughs> open. They probably like that. Yeah. Do, they still, do they still hovercraft in the drop-ins like they did in the World Series cricket days, Pete? <laughs> I don't think they do anymore. No. Okay. I'm not sure. No, no. I've, I've never been here for the drop for when they move it in. They tend to have it in by the time I get here. Mm. It's going to be a fascinating contest. Fascinating to see Smith opening the batting and, and then Green at four. Um, so, you know, if we expect it to be a one-sided contest. Um, that gives us something else, a little subplot in and around this two-test series in which to write about and indeed to talk about. Great to catch up as always, Pete. We'll catch all your great work in the Australian and we'll continue to hear you on SEN Cricket. Enjoy your day. There he is, Peter Lawler from the Australian 0457 736 736 is the text line number. I'm happy to take your calls on 1300 01 1170. You're on SEN Summer Mornings. Uh, hopefully you're going to catch up with Mark Woodford shortly on the program. He's just tied up on another call, we think, at the moment. But as soon as we get him, in fact, we'll get him very, very shortly. Mark Woodford, Australian tennis legend. So a mixed day for the Aussies after day two. But Alex Demonor, he'll take that. I'd imagine, but I get Woody's thoughts very, very shortly on the program. And a few the thing about it is when two Aussies play each other, it's a case of, well, it's, it sucks that one's got to lose, but on the flip side, somebody goes through to the next round. One of those is Alexi Popper and is going to take on the might of Novak Djokovic. 0457 736 736. So I think we've got him on the line right now. As we mentioned, a mixed day for the Aussies after day two of the Australian Open. We also saw some big names as well fall by the wayside. Mark Woodford, Australian tennis legend. He's part of the team here at SEN. I'm pleased to say he's on the line right now. Morning, Mark. Uh, good morning. Uh, let's start with the demon, shall we? Uh, let me ask you this, uh, though, Woody. What, what's the mindset when your opponent either retires, hurt, or you, or you get a walkover? Do you, do you take the rest? Are you happy with that? Would you have preferred more of a hit out? I, I guess after Alex dropping the first set, he'll, he'll bank that and move forward. Yeah, look, I think he, there, there might be a sense of relief that uh, Raonic did, you know, stop after uh, what uh, two and a bit sets there. Um, I think Alex was well and truly tested. He had the experience of being out there, and just to to get that sense of what hopefully is uh, a number of more matches to come. But that was a very dangerous opponent um, against Milos, and uh, uh, as I said, I think that's a a valuable experience that he's um, that that he's been put through, and now he can get ready for you know, you know the second round and uh, and hopefully as I, as I mentioned that there are other matches. So I, I don't think he'd be too unsettled um, the mm-hmm. fact that he played uh, just two sets um, because there's look there's a lot of attention riding on his shoulders uh, this tournament, isn't there? Mm. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, crack the top ten. Of course, no Nick here. He's the a great Australian hope on the men's side of the draw. You know, he's added a lot of improvement to his game, hasn't he, to crack that top 10? You know, what have you seen in Alex's game that you think can consistently take him to maybe quarters of a slam? Well, I, 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 there's no doubting his um, that the, the way that he approaches uh, every match, every tournament, the professional 
um, attitude that he brings to the court. And there's just that, that inner belief. It's not an outward show of uh, confidence, which is probably the contrast to, to Nick, um, that, um, you know, very different games as well. And, and, and just their um, uh, approach um, to, to tournaments. But that last year, I, I, I mean, I go back and I think, again, this is a contrast. Last year, if you remember, Alex, I think, made it through to the third or fourth round. Um, and there was a lot of hype entering the match against Novak Djokovic. And he just got walloped. I mean, he was he was showing that, you know, why Novak Djokovic was number one in the world, went on to win the tournament and was in great form. But he, he really did uh, crush Alex. And I was commentating that match with, of course, in the booth with BP and... Uh, but it was just one-way traffic. But therein lies that, that Alex has taken that loss, and sometimes it, it is a loss that can help build um, or rebuild in this sense. And I think he, he walked away and said, OK, if I'm going to be you know, knocking on the door of uh, second week of the slams or, or if I want to reach the top 10, I've got to make these little tweaks to my game. And it just seems like that... Um, He's added a little extra, you know, beef on the serve. I think in the rally mode, he, he's been willing to actually step a little closer to the baseline so that there's not, the, the ball is arriving to the opponent a little sooner and with a little a little bit extra on weight of shot on it uh, uh, as well. So it's just these small little areas that can make some, some big um, changes and, and look, here we are 12 months down the track and Alex is now inside the top 10 and I think he will be a, 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 you know, a consistent member of the top 10 and, and obviously, as we've, we've heard from him, that you know, he, he fully believes that he can just take um, some extra steps and, and maybe knock on the top five. From what, you, from what you've seen, Mark, obviously heat is a significant factor at the Australian Open. How's the court playing? Yeah. There's been a bit of discussion around the balls as well. So considering that, do conditions <laughs> look fast to you? Do they look slower than usual? How are you reading it in these early stages? Well, I think the, that, that's what the Australian Open provides is, and, and here in Melbourne. And of course, the classic you know, line is four seasons in a day. You know, for everyone that comes down here and play, they've got to be they've got to be prepared for every condition. Um, and, and yes, we're renowned for the for those summery days as well. And it has been a test over the the first two days. And today is going to be blistering for them as well. And look, tennis, in, in my opinion, is centered in Europe right now. That's where the the bulk of the the players um, with, um, with with high rankings, etc. Uh, and, and a lot of those players are coming from winter um, right now, coming into the summer. And, and it is a, a contrast. It's an adjustment for them. So um, it, there is a lot of talk about the balls, um, uh, but, but the court surface here, it changes speed with the type of weather conditions. If, it, if In the evenings, it can get a little quick. In the heat of the day, the ball can be, you know, very bouncy. So players are, are making contact. So it's just something that they have to adjust. But I think the more complete players 
they're the ones that are able to handle those conditions. And, and perhaps that's, uh, you know, it alludes to, plays into Novak Djokovic's hands yeah. because he's been able to, to handle all of those um, uh, different conditions so well over so many years here. He's a master, isn't he? This is his castle, and even at his age, I mean, he was tested by his Croatian opponent round one, but he's twice his age and and found a way, didn't he? Who can challenge Novak? You know, is it Alcaraz next? Uh, presumably, you know, what what can Sinner do? I'm fascinated to see what Sinner can do. We're still sort of, I guess, waiting for him to take that next next step. Stefanos is always strong yeah. down under. You know, maybe yeah. a good slugger like Aruna could, could factor as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, there, there are a number of contenders out there, and uh, uh, you, you've, you've mentioned uh, all of the ones that I would probably throw into that hat as well. Um, but you know, it's only Alcaraz that uh, of that bunch that has been able to traverse, you know, the two weeks, winning seven matches of a of a Grand Slam. So I, I would expect him to be. You know, challenging and 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 be there at at the end. But of course, you know, we'd love to see Alex de Menard, and I fully believe that he can be there in in week two and perhaps in the latter stages. But it's the final, the semi-finals, and the final, and that's where Novak has um, has shone so brightly here in Australia that he's been able to have enough energy and enough belief. Um, to, to you know get through those those big matches at the end and and there's one person that probably is not receiving in my in, in my book is not receiving enough attention flying under the radar is actually Dan Medvedev I mean mm. he's a former finalist here I mean there's there is a lot of talk with other players but you know I think in Medvedev's case it's kind of nice you know to be you know, not consistently having to answer, is this going to be your your opportunity? So don't discount Medvedev. Just very quickly, Mark, just on the Aussies, uh, congratulations, Storm Hunter. There's a tricky opponent to Sarah Irani. She advances to the second round. Preston, we didn't think she'd... Well, you know, she was pretty admirable, I guess, in that loss to Svitolina. Popperin is through. He's going to take on Novak, isn't he? Duckworth went down. Oh, I've got to say, Rinky Hidjikata, he battled to the very end, didn't he? He's one of my favourite Australians. (laughs) He has been over the last 12 months with the success that he enjoyed last year uh, with um, uh, Kubler winning the the doubles and, um, you know, just to see him work work his way through. He's... he's, uh, a great coach, Mark Draper, that's still working with him. Um, yeah, it was a shame. I was having a look at that last night. I couldn't believe, um, you know, how, how that was still going on mm. when I turned the TV. But um, you know, it's a it's a shame. I mean, he ran into the the German uh, defence of of Struff. But um, look at yeah, we're, we've lost a few along the way in some heartbreakers. But mm. there have been some winners, and uh, someone like Jordan Thompson. Uh, Chris O'Connell uh, as well. He he's stepping up uh, uh, in in a big match uh, as well. And and Tomo has just got to you know now the powers of recovery and hopefully youth on his side will will help him. But of course, uh, led by our number one, um, you know, De, De Manar. And uh, yeah, there's there's a lot more action to come.
Indeed, some some really wonderful matchups too in the women's. Daniel Collins, Angie Kerber, Iga Swiatek, the world number one against Sophia Kennan. Just very quickly before we let you go, Mark, uh, Olivia Gadecki up against Sloane Stevens and Kimberly Beryl yep. taking on the eleven seed Jelena Ostapenko. A potential wins there for the Aussie girls. Well, I, uh, look, years and years ago, I actually uh, travelled with Kim Burrell. She was in the, the junior Fed Cup team. That was what the competition was called at the time. I was looking after the junior Davis Cup team. And, and uh, so travelling with some 15, 16-year-olds. So it's a delight to see Kim, you know, persevere. Um, she's had to overcome some injuries. And I really like the way she plays. She's in with a chance. Even though Ostapenko won the tournament last week in Adelaide, you know, there might be that fatigue factor built in with Ostapenko as, as well coming into these hot conditions, which Kim, it's in her backyard. So I think with some, some great support, Kim is certainly within uh, a distance of, of beating Ostapenko. And Gadecki, yes, I mean, last year she was here. I think she announced her arrival on the Australian scene. So this is an, another opportunity. Getting off to a good start for whether it's the, the, the ladies or for the men, for the Australians, if they can get off to that good start early in the first set and just maintain that lead and they've got the support of the crowd, that makes a huge difference. It does. And Isla on court tonight against Petra Martic. Great to get your thoughts as always, Mark. Uh, enjoy the tennis. We'll speak soon. I, I hope so. Take care. Yeah, you can go on the Aussies. There he is, uh, Mark Woodford, part of the team here. The SEN Network, 0457-736-736, SEN Summer Mornings. Let's get the latest news headlines. Two Buck Chuck, good morning to you. Good morning, Julian. Good morning, everyone. And just on the, the waving at the SCG you were mentioning, that still happens today. Uh, the members still get booed, uh, but it's purely the Mexican wave. They never join in on the Mexican wave it's these West, days. Mexican wave is lame. Uh, no way. It's, it's great. so lame. And then, you know... It's good for, you know, maybe one or two rounds. And then by the end, nobody bothers to get out of the seat. They see the little limp wrist. Eh, okay, let's be done with it. The cricket should be the entertainment. Having said that, <laughs> I marvel at a good beer snake. I marvel at a good beer snake. Yeah, but... But they do but, that but when the there's nothing else police. happening. Yeah, rain, but, yeah well, yeah. there's that, that's true. But, you know, if there's extended rain delays... You get a beer snakes that go for the good part of you know, twenty meters. That's pretty decent. There was there was that one rain delay in a I think it was twenty twelve one day international between Australia and Sri Lanka, and it rained for a good I want to say twenty minutes, and then it mm. stopped raining. But there was two hours of no play while they were trying to get the they got the two ropes out, and they were trying it's to get so the rope. Cricket, yeah. And because there was no wind, you know, the, the just the outfield couldn't get dry. And so after two hours of no rain and no ball being bowled, they called it off. But in the meantime, they had managed to make a, a beer snake that was rumoured to have gone from the Barongal to the Noble Stand, I believe. Mm. I think it was, mm. it, was, it was that long in length. Um, the Barongal, yeah. hang on, the Barongal to the Noble. That yes. would have to cut across the members, though. No. That was the no. case. What was it? To, was it um, m- maybe it was the Trumper. Maybe it was the uh, Barongal to the Trumper. I'm not too sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to. The oh, Trump yeah. is the hill, so they're yes. adjacent. But you couldn't go. Yeah. There's no way no, you get no, you couldn't go to the, to the noble. noble. To, you yeah, of course not. Yeah, you cut across. The Outrageous. Yes, it yeah. could never happen. Uh, I want to switch gears. Uh, that, that's my that's my radio crutch. I want to switch yes. gears. Talk about the NFL yesterday. Look, yeah. there was the blowout with the Cowboys. Uh, I, I've been celebrating for the last 24 hours or so, but I want to talk about the Detroit Lions because, as as you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, the, their first playoff win in 32 years. They broke they broke the longest playoff drought in NFL history. Nine straight losses in the postseason. 
and they did it in front of a packed crowd, in front of Eminem as well, the, the greatest rapper of all time. I'm just going to play the, the final few seconds of when the game had been won, uh, when Jared Goff, the quarterback, knelt, uh, and Mike Trico, the commentator for NBC. I want you to listen to the crowd and listen to the noise here. This will be one of the most memorable nights in Detroit football for that 89-year-old and the 62,000 others here. One more knee and business is done. And Detroit, for the first time in 32 years, your Lions have won a playoff game. How about it? Yeah, how about it? And the 89-year-old that was mentioned was uh, Benjamin Cap, who was a 66-year ticket holder for the Detroit Lions. Uh, so you can't accuse him of being a bandwagon fan, but they cut to him several, on several occasions to the show the glee and then the cheer. And uh, I was messaging my mates about it, being like, wow, what an awesome win. We we're all sort of Detroit, sort of the team that we're all getting behind in the bandwagon. And it got me thinking, instead of just the classic, you know, biggest finals droughts or biggest losers in the sport, who's a team that everyone unanimously loves? Who does it, who's a team that everyone gets behind in the NRL? Like, for example, in the NRL, I got behind the Warriors, I think, last season. They love that run. Exactly right. Everyone got behind the Warriors. Everyone's getting behind Detroit. Um, So I I want to pose a question to to you, to to everyone. Who's a team that you think unanimously everybody loves? I don't know if there's a team that people love unanimously, but are we talking sort of second teams? Here or just yeah. no, no, just okay. A bit of second teams. Like, to step to step back yeah. and look at it dispassionately, it's okay. Well, you can't feel bad for you. Got to feel happy for the Lions. Yeah, if LA fans probably don't. The they actually do. Do they? Funnily enough, but oh, so, 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 oh, so, so it's okay. So if it had to be someone, well, I'm glad it yes. was the Lions. Yeah, and right. and the the other aspect was that the Detroit Lions quarterback Jared Goff was yep. the quarterback Goffy. for the Rams <laughs> for for a couple of seasons. He was the Rams quarterback. Um, Matthew Stafford was the Lions quarterback. Bazooka oh, um, um, himself, Matty Stafford. Yeah, you can chuck him. So it, it was, it was, it, all the narratives were at play. It was a, <coughs> I don't know, it was, it was a game played in the right spirit, and it was mm. a tight game. But I think you have to suggest that the Lions were with a better team, and, and they move on and they get to host another playoff game now that uh, Dallas uh, crapped the bed. Buffalo twenty one, Pittsburgh ten at the moment. Buffalo twenty one, Pittsburgh ten. Just back to that that beer steak for a moment. They're dragging the. It's so typical of cricket. Well, you know, now the rain stopped, and then you got to assess the outfit. And you're just waiting for hours, just twiddling your thumbs, doing nothing. They drag the rope. They still have the super sopper. Oh, I don't think I've seen the super sopper at the cricket for some time. But I always remember every time it was out, and Richie Benno would always be at pains to mention that the super sopper was an Australian invention, up there with the Victor Lawnmower and the Hills Hoist. One of our great inventions, and you know the cochlear implant and Wi-Fi, uh, the super sopper was an Aussie invention. It was basically like a almost like a steamroller, but with sponges on it would soak up, um, like a mobile shamware would soak up all the all the moisture on the surface of of the playing ground. I've I've got an update as well for the, yep. for the SCG beer snake. So it was January 20, 2013. The longest ever beer snake was created during a two-hour rain delay at an Australian versus Sri Lanka one-day cricket match in Sydney. 
The snake was reported to have spanned the width of the SCG's Victor Trumper stand. Uh, a man who was in attendance reports that it was between 100 and 175 metres long. <laughs> a man who was in attendance. I'm not sure how, how, well, well, how well, much well, you can validate well, it because I've a got bloke a name. in attendance who might have put a few away and there wasn't much action on the field. I've got a, a, man I've who got a name, attendance. I've got a name, but I, I don't know if it's, it's right to dox him on this program. But... Uh, he said it beat the previous record held at the Wacker Ground in Australia in 2007, which was uh, about 95 metres long. So there you go, oh, up to 175 right. metres long. <laughs> was the That's some pretty, it's some pretty dicey anecdotal evidence going on there. <laughs> so it's like the blow, like Jimmy Barnes always laughs. People go, oh, mate, I saw Chisel play that gig at the Star Hotel. It was the best gig ever. Oh, thanks, mate, because we never played a gig at the Star Hotel. We had a song at the Star Hotel, but memories are funny things. Mm. Memories are funny things. Do they still use the Super Sopper? Before the break, Matt says, Chucky, 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 Eminem, the greatest rapper of all time. Have you heard of Tupac, Notorious B.I.G.? They're good. Yeah, well, look, he's in. Look, Eminem's They're excellent. Good. Matt, Eminem is excellent. He's no vanilla rice, though. Oh, please. I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you, Charles. You're welcome. Breaking back with more summer mornings. Football, as you know, never stops. There is a stack going on in the world game. The return of the Premier League, your night round in the A-League, the Asia Cup, much, much more. Robbie Slater, Aussie football legend, code sports columnist on the line right now. Morning, Rob. Julian, how you doing, mate? Really well. You don't mind a bit of Boz Skaggs for a oh, Tuesday morning? A bit of the shuffle. Yeah. Oh, how Brought good is that? Yeah, mate, it's like a karaoke uh, classic. <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, just while so, I've got you, uh, just checking these lines okay. I hate getting to the end of an interview and I get home and someone goes, oh, that was a really bad line. How's the line? Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty good at the moment, uh, Rob, hey, listen, your night rounds. Let's get your thoughts. On, actually, no, before yeah. that, no, sorry, we, we, this news came to light as, as we came off air. And, you know, I know you'd written about it or talked about it. The terrible news yesterday about the passing of Stevie Labert. Was he 46? Just a wonderful player, Socceroo brethren, and uh, far too young. Yeah, yeah, I crossed paths with him many, many times. Uh, a, really gen- a real gentle giant. Uh, good player. Strong, uncom- uncompromising defender, and I know that because back in '98, I played for Northern Spirit towards the end of my career, and I came up him against him a couple of times, and he really kicked the shit out of me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was very uncompromising, like I said. But you know, then obviously, uh, you know, he played for Australia 15 times, I think it was. Uh, so you know, I was there commentating at, at that stage. Well, throughout his career and you know people you wouldn't realize that uh, he had a very good reputation in Belgium where he played for Muscron and and Ghent and certainly marked those clubs um, and marked the game and you know obviously a very courageous individual and at a time when it really didn't happen that he you know came out about his uh, sexuality it was an incredibly courageous thing to do but mm. I just get the feeling, you know, at the end of careers as well, and I don't know how much, because I know footballers struggle at the end of their careers sometimes, and sometimes can go on for decades. And I, I just don't think we do enough here uh, looking after our people, uh, you know, as, as the way that the NRL do, for example. I know they, they look after their former players very, very well, and you just get the feeling here this was one that got away, and it's very sad. Very sad, yeah. far too young. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, sad day for the Australian football community. It is. And the fact that he was willing to, to donate a kidney to a young man to help wow. it, it yeah, just speaks exactly. to, to the, the selflessness of him. And you talk about league and, you know, they support their own through men of league. And 
you know, you know better than I do, Rob, but, you know, maybe it's something that the sport of soccer football needs to do better yeah. in this country. Uh, Unite rounds, we had it in the A-League. Do, do you like the concept, Rob? We had 28 goals in the men, so if you got out there, you certainly entertained. I'm not sure logistically this would have worked. Maybe two venues as opposed to three might have been better, and I would have liked to have seen it too. Pumped up some more, Rob. Pumped up some more. But that has been a perennial problem for the A-League. How would you mark Unite round? Uh... Well, there's one one area, one category where it gets full marks, and that's the games. Like you said, loads of goals, you know, good entertainment. But pretty much in every other category, it fell over. Um, I think the concept, you're right, is is fantastic. Uh, yeah, people are going to know it's on, mate. Yeah. I mean, people are going to know, you know, this should have been promoted weeks and weeks, months ago. It should be on, the, it should be, you know, plastered on the back of buses. Going around Sydney would have been a perfect way, you know, Unite Round coming, da da da. So everyone knew it was coming. Unless you're a diehard football fan, you didn't know. And, you know, it's farcical the way the APL have come out and said 48,000 people have attended the Unite Round. I mean, that's it's just not true. Yeah. It's just not true. How can you count in, well, let's go to Allianz, right? Which was the biggest crowd of uh, Unite Round. So, They've gone and counted for the first game 8,000 people. And then they've added that to the official crowd for Sydney FC in their game as 11,000. So they put them two together to come up with 19,000. I mean, I mean, I mean, do they think we're stupid? Of course. Yeah. You know, like it's just, yeah. I mean, it's ludicrous how you can add, you know, what, how many... Fans, you think from Adelaide and Sydney were already in the stadium when they're counting eight thousand? I mean, it's, mm. I mean, it's, it really does. It's just incredible, and I'm not. This is not a cheap shot, but you know, you can't, you know, try and fool people. And you know, to come out, you know, the day of the first night of Unite Round, which was the Friday, I read on social media, Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it these days, that. Um, you know, it was Unite Round was already declared a success um, because there was forty-two thousand interstate travellers coming to the games. I mean, really? Yeah. I doubt if the NRL get that up to Suncorp. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and and this is this is the problem. The APL and the you know the broadcast deal. If I include that, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm just having a go at everyone, but. Yeah, like Bozer, I'm sort of at, you know, you're at the end of your tether and receipt. It's three years now this APL's been going on, and no one knows, unless you're a diehard, mm. no one knows that it's on. I get people stopping me, and albeit they're not great big footballer fans, but, you know, they used to follow the A-League to a certain point, but they, you know, I get people asking me, has it started yet, or is it on? Or, yeah. you know, and we're, we're, you know, if I say, oh, I've got to go, I've got to, you know, What's this game? I'm working on it tonight. And they go, well, what game? You know, like, it's just incredible that it, it's become invisible. I feel sorry for the players and coaches uh, and owners of clubs uh, that try their very best and put on a good product like they did in Unite Round. Loads of goals, great entertainment, and some really good football. Now, is the football always great? Of course it isn't. Nowhere in the world is it always Correct. great. But I tell Correct. you what. It's um it's a pretty good product that's been been a big disappointment now for for the three years since since 
the A League and pretty much the APL split with the the FA um, and, a, and a really, really bad, in my opinion, broadcast deal uh, that is run by people that really, I think, have shown that uh, they, that they haven't been able to come up with the right concepts uh, for for the game. And I think there's dark, I think there's some troubled times ahead. You know, I live in the Parramatta region of Sydney. Combank Stadium was one of the venues. I wasn't there at the time, but I saw some photographs. Is there anything going on? It's like a ghost town. Where are the flags? Where's the promotion? You know, you should be amping this up and you're not. And, you know, Bozza said on this network, it's time to move the A-League out of the summer window. The winter. You, yeah, pick up the newspaper. Do you ever see pages of soccer football? No. Summer's for cricket, summer's for tennis, beaches and holidays. He says the last thing on people's mind is the A-League, he, he has an issue with the broadcasting as well. He said, look, there's no Craig Foster on the coverage. There's no Robbie Slater on the coverage. Is it, do you think, Rob, because they don't want people like yourself on the coverage because you would hold the game to account? Is, is that the sense you're getting? Oh, 100%. Um, and, you know, you know the, the, the decline of the APL can be directly linked to the broadcast deal where they went with 10 paramounts. And again, this is not a personal attack. On, on them, it's just a fact that they have no links to to any other, you know, possibilities of, you know, broadcasting or or using, for instance, like a better way to explain it is you know, if you take Channel Nine and Stan, Nine has Stan, Stan and Nine are linked to the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age and and you know and radio stations. I think Two GB and so they have this. Network, and if you look at Fox Sports, uh, it's the same. It, it has a network, uh, the Murdoch uh, Empire, if you want to put it, the evil mm. empire of News Limited it has all the mastheads around the country, uh, the Daily Telegraph, Courier Mail, and Herald Sun, and they're all linked. And Ken Paramount don't have those links, so therefore, um, you know, they, they haven't had in the three years much coverage. Uh, in that kind of respect, apart from this season, where I must say, you know, News Limited, we have been covering the A-League on Fridays and Mondays quite extensively, but it's not enough. Uh, and the trouble is, when you accept a broadcast deal, it really, you know, hasn't lived up to what it was supposed to supposed to be in a financial gain for the for the game. It's I don't think it's it's been that at all, and there's just, there's no shows, there's no promotion, there's no... Yeah, no one knows it's on, Julian. And, yeah. and like Boz has said, um, you know, and I get what he's saying, and yeah, in an ideal world, Julian, I think Boz is 100% right. In a normal world where football could thrive would be best suited in winter because the games would be quicker. You know, everyone goes on about the EPL and the European leagues. Yeah, of course. It's freezing. It, it makes you want to run. Uh, you know, we get games kicking off 30 degrees plus, uh, not conducive to free-flowing, athletic, you know, um, football at, at a pace that you, you, when you turn on the television, you'll see from European leagues. Um, and, but still, I think we, we do pretty well at it. But the, the problem is, for us, is that, and I was involved at Fox Sports for, you know, for the first 15 years of the A-League, and... Mm. And I'm pretty sure that of that ten and Paramount are the same. They, none of the the networks want to run in 
not interested in a broadcast deal in winter because of the other sports being there. So, you know, it's it's a problem. How do you fix that problem? You know, that that's one that's uh, yeah, you know, never been able to be solved. In fact, the, the old, you know, people forget the last 10 years of the NSL. When I grew up in the NSL, it was a winter competition. But the last 10 years of the NSL were in, were in summer. And then, of course, the A-League came along and it's always been in summer and uh, you know like ideally I 100% agree but is it possible is there somehow someone willing to go okay we'll take it on and and we'll allow it to play in winter because there is a theory you know just because you're a football fan doesn't mean you don't like the NRL or and and, or the AFL and vice versa I know a lot of the victory fans which is the biggest club supported club in the country yeah, you know, a lot of those fans from Melbourne Victory are massive AFL fans. Yep. <laughs> yeah. um, yep. so. But vi- you're right, Rob. Visibility is paramount, and they're they're suffering from a lack of that at the moment. Uh, Asia Cup, Rob Socceroos got their campaign underway with a well, importantly, two 0 win over India. Uh, it's a problem that they're going to face, aren't they? Particularly in, in this tournament, hard to break down teams defensively. They're going to sit back. Um, you know, weren't great. Riley McGree came on. Geordie Boss came on. Fawn Rowley came on. I'm a big Riley McGree fan. I think we probably need yeah. some more creativity. Have you spoken to Wani? Can you foresee any changes for the Syria game? Um, yeah, I've spoken to Wani, but he gives little away, particularly to me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But I think if you watch the game, um, yeah, the first half made you want to go to bed, basically. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it was poor, but it was lethargic. It was slow. It was... You know, very few chances. Um, and then second half, all of a sudden, a couple of changes. Uh, in particular, you know, Riley McGreet. Uh, of course, uh, Fauna Rowley coming and Geordie Boss, who scores with his first touch. The second half was much better and much more of what I think we've got to look forward to. And you're right, we saw against Bahrain, same scoreline, uh, the India game, 2-0, 2-0. Um, the low block, this defence, you know, that's the way these teams in the group stage are going to play against us because, you know, we, we're superior to them. And that's um, that's a fact. Um, Syria and Uzbekistan, the other two teams in the group played out a nil-all draw and Uzbekistan had all the possession. Syria sat back. So if Syria is sitting back against Uzbekistan, you can guarantee they're going to sit back against us on Thursday night. Uh, but I expect us to improve. And in respect to your question, look, I think those two that come on, I think Fornaroli's role will continue the same off the bench. Uh, but he gave a lot of energy. Um, and the other two did as well. In particular, Riley McGree. Now, when, you know, we've lost in recent years, Rogic, Moy, you know, playmakers. Uh, and what we don't have now really is a playmaker. And I see Riley McGree being able to maybe, in some ways, you know, uh, fill that role we saw in coming coming on. He set up Geordie Boss's Boss's goal, so he can be a creative creative mm. player. Um, and uh, sorry, I'm I'm in a gym and I've got someone very enthusiastic next to me. Um, <laughs> Evidently, and uh, you heard that banging. But um, yeah, I agree that Riley McGree can in summer. He's not an actual out and out number ten, Riley McGree, but I think. With his energy and the way he can drift between lines, um, I think he can uh, certainly play a part. And I would not be surprised if, uh, if, he, if he starts against Syria on Thursday.